Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Okay. Um <clears throat> ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Wow. It's been a while, isn't it? Mm. You say that every time. But it really has it been. It really has been a while. It's been like three months because we've the all been The last in. time we recorded was last year. Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it was a whole two months ago. I'm a whole new person. Well. I've changed in the 54 days of 2020. Um, We're back with Overrated, Underrated, our two cents episode regular scheduling everything all good stuff um if you haven't listened to one of our two cents episodes before it works like this each of us bring two subjects or topics or reviews or things that we'd like to um unpack and debate as being either overrated or underrated um and 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 we leave it to our listeners to give their two cents as well so we'll get started who's going first ladies first right okay so my first overrated um Oh no, this is our because two of us and then yeah, we're so out of it as well. I've literally me forgotten. Me and, um, I'm so shy behind this mic. Oh, I me and Nafisa sharing a mic today. We had technical issues. Technical issues. So yeah. Yeah, so my first um, overrated for this week is modern life. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was ill for a month with the flu and in that time I did a lot of YouTube. And <laughs> I did a lot of YouTube, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I came across this like old BBC series called life in the victorian era and what? i became so addicted why to is it. it only you find this stuff when you're <laughs> ill <laughs> and it was this reality tv show that was aired in like 2014 no yeah, way it's it like 2014 How did they get the footage okay so listen is it <laughs> it isn't like a real like it is a real place but it's obviously not filmed in the victorian era it? so how it is how it works is there is this village. There's, I mean, not village. There's a town in Shropshire called Bliss Had to be village. Shropshire. This sounds like wife swap. You know, it, it, it kind of like is. It, well, you like swapping your life for an old Victorian person, basically. <coughs> so, um, <coughs> there's this old open air museum in Shropshire. It's um, an open air museum. It's a Victorian town, and there's a bunch of people that are there. I don't know if they're actors or. <coughs> <coughs> I don't know if they're actors or if they actually live there. I don't know what's going on, but they basically all live like Victorian people, and they've had these um like like TV like people. <laughs> they've had TV in there every now and then to like film an odd TV show here and there. And there's this woman who's so like, so they choose to live this life. Yeah, I well, watch this program. There's this Let's woman see. who's who very specifically chooses to live this life, and she's like been on every TV show that's got anything to do with Victorian things at all, and like they'll start of like a victorian pharmacy and they'll go through the process of what that's like anyway so i saw you watching the apothecary yeah apothecary that was the one her name is like ruth or something anyway so she was like 
one of the hosts of this reality TV show and there was four uh, famous people, relatively famous people, like to British people, it's like Nikita Oliver and like um, Anne Whittacombe and like a, couple, a bunch of other people. I know Anne Whittacombe. She was quite funny in this like show. So they had to swap lives with Victorian people. Um, that they had got from these <laughs> diaries. It, it was, nah, so, she it. was so funny. Um, and yeah, they just went through the motions of what it was like to live as a Victorian person at like multiple stations, but they were basically all working class. Mm. And I got really like into <laughs> this TV show because I'm really drawn to asceticism. Mm. And I, I know like I have a tendency to like idealize it mm. quite a bit, but I... I just thought, to, um, like, as I was watching it, I was just like, oh, these people basically have no time to, like, think or, like, get sad. They basically just are, like, laboring 24-7. And it's, like, really, really hard work. And they, like, live really simply. And there's, like, a sense Wait, of community. Hang on. So are you classifying their life as modern? No. So it's, like, it's basically everything. It's, like, post-industrial Era. So you're saying they're not they're not living in a modern no life, they weren't no so yeah they swapped their lives they had to give up their phones they had to swap their lives for I would actually say they're still living in some form of it is some form because they know that they've that got time, right? they've got that like they've got at least like the cameras following them around and stuff so they're not completely out of touch with it but other than that they basically had like they had to sleep on the floor in this house like it was very much like to the T how a Victorian person would live you can do that too you know. Sleep on the floor. No, it wasn't even sleeping on the floor. Like apparently in Victorian house in Victorian times, like uh, working class people had houses and each family had a room. So there were multiple families mm. living in multiple rooms and is that what you want, sir? No, that's not what I want. Okay, so basically this is the this is You know what's funny? We're we're, we're going back to that model. I, like I mean if you this. just look at the typical flat share and if you walk into certain neighbourhoods where it is those big houses. It, people are going back to that whole flat share where you yeah. have a room, the kitchen. It's like communal, communal living. Areas, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's definitely not something to idealize because it, it, like, basically, bare people died. It's like super unhygienic and like really peak. But um, there is, there are elements there. Yeah, there are elements, and even just like Mormons live that lifestyle as well, where they basically refuse to engage in modern life. And um, I just went on this trajectory of thinking about like how useless I would be. Um, in an apocalypse like that whole same thing of like if you i mean don't you have that thought every I, okay so like yeah i do have like a it's not no there. so but it was like it was even more amplified because i was watching this victorian like reality tv show plus i was like really ill with the flu plus the coronavirus just like emerged out of nowhere so i just started thinking about all these things and how useless i would be like i don't know how to do anything for myself i literally wrote a list of things that i don't know how to do and if we didn't have technology no, did you write a list of all the things you do know how to do i know i know how to do them because technology enables me to do them i'm literally a useless human being i would die in two seconds and i have no <laughs> upper body strength either so like we measure ourselves today we get so depressed I measuring just know ourselves. if anything happened i'd go straight to the forest because what are you gonna I'm do a, in the forest i'm a forager i know what to eat Shilo, you would and die I to build a den yeah, but what kind of wood do you use to build a den? There's, I know that too. Oh, okay, so, well... Stumbling. <laughs> basically, there's so much more to it. And I just feel like when you have to wait for your harvest, when you have to ferment your own foods, what else did I put down? Um, when you have to figure out how to get nutrients in your body without a variety of food, when you have to, like, rely on the elements to make a fire, etc., etc. So I think that modern life 
is overrated and I think a lot of people would agree with me although it makes our lives much easier and also it's a lot more hygienic and it solved a lot of our problems for me I see it as the modern life I understand what you're saying in terms of us not being self-sufficient I see it as the modern life allows us to also push boundaries Mm. of what we are able to achieve individually Mm. and as humans because so much of it is done Mm. for us and so much of it is like actually to build a technological something you don't even need to be able to code anymore because so much has been like we've made so many leaps um and i i don't know if i can agree with it being overrated just because i think there's elements of all um i i think like sometimes you can get caught up in thinking you know a, a time previous was better nostalgia yeah but there are actually some things um that are controlled by the divine that will never change mm-hmm. right so for all oh, that's what i think now you know who knows in like and i was reading a post and it said like you know we, we're living in this life where everything is fast everything's sped up but there are some things for example having a baby takes nine months yeah right mm. and Allah could have made it a day mm. Allah could actually made it a decree where you make up the world like oh I really want a baby and a mm. baby turns up Nafis has spoke about this before and we were saying that you know it could, we could have um it could have been a, a thousand different ways but there are some things that are still in the control of the divine mm. that cannot be sped up mm. regardless of how much um modern technology mm. modern science is around us. us i'm sure there are experiments so whilst everything is being sped up there are some things like a good jam or a good chutney you still need yeah but time. who does that anymore that's the, me that, have you not <laughs> seen the book on my desk you can you can make like i just think you can take elements from any that see that's basic that's my driving point that's like basically me saying that I'm not content with a completely modern lifestyle. There is a bit that yearns for for working a little bit harder for these things. But isn't doesn't that say something? The slow with fast. Doesn't that say something about the human condition though? That like despite all this convenience and technology at our fingertips, we still yearn to like work a little bit harder or like be um at one with like Do you know what I just I have to read this <coughs> post I read this morning by Yasmin Mujahid. We live in a world where we want things immediately, but all around us, Allah teaches us a profound lesson again and again. Everything is a process and takes time. Allah could have made a baby in a moment, but he designed it to take nine months. A seed could have become a massive oak in a day, but it was designed to take hundreds of years. The Prophet's mission could have been completed in a year or two, but God designed it to take 23 you will not always see the fruits of your labor right away. Maybe not even in your lifetime. So don't de- get discouraged. All things take time. And to all things is a process you cannot speed up. Therefore, success is dependent upon patience. Okay, so my second overrated is not really an overrated, but it's something I've been pondering on and want to put out for and <laughs> so i've been thinking a lot about my finances lately i mean i think we all think about our finances all the time but um, what finances <laughs> well correct and then that got me thinking about saving and blah 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 anyway so i over the weekend um did like a trajectory mind map of finances so like basically alternative realities for me if i did x y and z with my finances mm. from now do mm. you need to cough Anyway, I realized that um, saving aimlessly yeah. is actually quite um, good. 
I know. I don't. Yeah. I basically, this is what I want to put out for there, there for discussion. So I had a couple of conversations with other people about it because I thought, oh, like by the time I'm this age, I might have this much money. But then, like, what happens when I get there? Like, what do I do with it? And they yeah. were like, oh, you could save it for like a rainy day, or like you might have this happen, or you might have that happen. And there are like there are like things that happen to you in life where you know it's just amazing to have yeah. a big chunk of money like lying around that could save your bum. But mm. um in the same breath this person also told me like the profit piece upon him never saved Mm -hmm. his money whenever he had any leftover money he would always give it away Mm -hmm. and i know that that's not necessarily you know it's a a really admirable quality and something i think in an ideal world we'd love to do but like we're living within a specific type of system yes exactly and it these days he they did And they had like a, a community, I don't know, there's a lot of different variables. There's a lot of different variables. Yeah. But I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. Yes, I do think you should not hoard money. Yeah. You should give away when Well, you I can, just when I just should. think try to allocate a purpose to it as as soon as you start saving yeah, yeah. because I feel like otherwise it's really disheartening oh. or something. I don't know, like I'm gonna say I agree. I agree um that I think you should save. Um, but I think there should be a reason for your saving. Yeah. Um, like I've recently got a Monzo. Am I allowed to say Monzo? Yeah. Come sponsor us, Monzo. Um, I recently got a Monzo card and I opened up two like um, different savings with them. So one was just like my Hajj account where I just transfer little bits of money. And that is a purpose, right? There's yeah. a reason to that. Yeah. And then the other one, it was more to teach my daughter like the value of money. She wanted to go to this Grace and Poise ballet workshop. Mm. And I was just like, oh, look, babes, we've got to save money for this. And then, so every time she wanted to buy something, so she's like, oh, I really want to buy this, I don't know, this toy. I said, oh, you know, babes, that's 10 pounds. Yeah. If I put, if I transfer that right now into the pot, yeah. it means we're 10 pounds, we're closer yeah. to basically having that money for your, yeah. uh, ballet workshop thing yeah. and she started to get it yeah. and the fact that she was saving for us as opposed to just if i just say oh it's really good to save money mm. for what she doesn't uh, yeah, understand I feel like that's it, not right? really that motivational but then there's also this thing of like how do we bring in how do we balance like what is conducive to a um safe and uh, manageable and looked after lifestyle in today's society with this uh, attitude towards money that it's like not really ours and that like your risk come from risk comes from Allah and like you know there's the hadith about the birds leaving in the d- in in the morning to and they don't know what they'll be provided and they'll they'll no one's saying don't make mad money I don't agree in terms of I think it is good to save even though you don't know what you're saving for <coughs> just because I also think you'd never know what can come at you in mm-hmm. life like even and not even like big calamities like small small things mm-hmm. of like you've gone on holiday <clears throat> you've gone on holiday and something has happened which has meant you've had to book a new flight and you need to have 500 pound mm-hmm. you know in your hand and yeah. the thing is like i don't think we're hoarding like let's be real guys none of us are millionaires or billionaires you know it's not like we're hoard we're not hoarding millions of pounds and just aimlessly doing that like really and truly we're talking about a couple of hundreds if if not a couple of thousands you know like we're we're not really trying to like we're not exploiting other people to then hoard this money I think there's that that context um for example end of last year I bought myself something at the end of the year and then I said to myself actually every year I'm going to buy myself something at the end of the year to like mark achievements to mark 
I can't remember now. But, but is it like a treat thing? Like yeah. It, okay. But I, when I like was something that you would spend, you wouldn't otherwise spend on a monthly yeah, basis. But yeah. But when I was saving that money, I had no intention that that was going to be what it was. And like so, this year, I'm like actually that part of what I'm saving for is. Um, something that i'm not gonna put on the podcast but um, <laughs> but you put intention behind it oh, yeah, yeah but but i also think there's there's a thing around being able to save money with no uh, like mm. reason and then at, there's a point in your life where you're able to then put an intention on it yeah. like for example i started i was saving last year 2018 i started saving yeah. and part of that was the discipline of it because let's be real like you're talking about like not sacrificing a certain lifestyle yeah. but let's be really real going to prayer every day is not a lifestyle mm. you know really we should be bringing our packed lunch in do you know what i mean like mm. it's but for me part of it was like who do i need to become in order to be able to have substantial amount of savings and it was i have to be someone that's disciplined i have to be someone who's not impulse buying because based on a happy feeling do you know what i mean um i didn't mean to start the yeah no, with the overrated that i have I'm not trying to fight anyone. <laughs> it just came to my mind. And I just like everyone to know I just want to be your friend. I don't want to fight you. So my first overrated is... Um, so this is actually, I have to give all credit to she who has written for Mali before. Um, she is also known on Instagram at French She, and she is, is, is spelled C H E. Um, and she does a little Instagram series called um, Sit With It, and she basically talks about anything for you to just cut, sort of like sit with it. It might be an emotion, it might be a feeling, it might be a thought. Um, she's also training to become a therapist I think. Yeah. so it's really nice to like see her journey and sort of see her sharing um some of the stuff that she's learning um and she has written under she richards um so yeah she um and so in her last sit with it i loved it i really did the overrated i have is the use on social media of the word toxic and the use of the word toxic in our everyday vocabulary mm-hmm. um i also think it is similar to how the use of problematic has been used everything's problematic everything's toxic everything gives us anxiety but it's the way that she really really broke down something that i've struggled to articulate mm-hmm. and um what she was what she was saying is um sometimes it's not that places or things or people are toxic it might just be you don't like it you don't like the place you don't like the person you don't like being in that situation and that's fine that's also not anything wrong with you but it also doesn't mean there's something wrong with the environment it doesn't mean that it's toxic and she was also talking about you know people who be like 
oh, um, you know, I've just got to cut this off and cut that off. It's not good for my energy and blah, blah, blah. And she was basically like, how weak is your energy field? Like, how weak is your energy for you to, like, just walk into a room and be like, oh, I can't be here and I need to, like, there's obviously some work that you need to do. And what I just found interesting is that on, especially on social media, we're in this bubble of, like, must cut people off, must be unapologetic self, must be like if anything is not authentic can't engage with it blah 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 and I just think sometimes we we take it too far in that I'm not saying you have to be in toxic situations and things like that and you don't have to be yourself but we also struggle to distinguish in what she was saying about like not everything is toxic not everything is problematic not everything (coughs) not everything is stopping you being your living your best life um and yeah that's about it so if surely people like I can't imagine that people don't know. Because I, I, is it that there's like uh, a misunderstanding of the weight of the word toxicity? Or is it that people are calling situations that... I mean, I, I think all of it. I think, I think also part of it is you have to remember that some people are growing up with social media being their source of learning. Yeah. And then they're also going into alternative lifestyles which aren't in the corporate world and blah, blah, blah. So even like the circles they're surrounded with. And I think part of it is like the accessibility of the language yeah. in a way that we didn't have before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it being used like really flippantly yeah. and like, you know, people just, yeah. Um, I personally, I think that um, when you label, and I've done it as well, because it's just become just part of our language, right? Where this is a toxic place, that's a toxic person, whatever it is. I think you d- you do a disservice to yourself when you label something as toxic. The reason being is you're not pinpointing and your mind isn't. What is it specifically about that person or place? So it might be like, you know, I've just Googled the definition of what are the signs of a toxic person. And one of the things is they overshare. And one thing, as Muslims, like we, it's not a strong hadith. It, it, you says make, it's a, it says it's a sign of a toxic person. Yeah, so these are, yeah, this is, anyway, just there's various things that people say. What I'm saying is when you label something as toxic, you're actually not addressing it. Mm-hmm. So it might be that you feel like this person is toxic because they overshare. That's but but on well, the other hand, the like I've been around people who have overshared, have told me some really deep stuff. I'm like, you know what? This person clearly doesn't have an outlet. They don't have someone to talk to. The fact that me, a complete stranger, I have this a lot happened in my life. They're just telling me is they also need some support. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying some people who do have some qualities, they might be really controlling. They might be very manipulative. I'm not saying that we should you know, continue to be around these people, but there are things like we need to strengthen ourselves. Mm. So if we happen to encounter that person, like there was a poll recently said, oh, but I can't avoid the person because they are family. Uh, So you have to strengthen yourself in a situation like that, for example, or you need to pinpoint exactly what it is because what will happen is when you encounter another person with that trait, they'll give you like an energy where you're like, I can't be around this, but you need to pinpoint exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And I was saying to a friend the other day, um, you can't curate life. You can't go around curating spaces and life because when these things do just 
come and hit you, yeah. you won't be able to manage in your throne. And but I think what's happening in terms of like, sorry, sorry, no, I no, no, not so. in terms of like <clears throat> the conversations around mental health, around mental wellness, is we're being given a lot of these terms like ang- being feeling anxious, um, you know, being around toxic people, but we're not, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out how to use them. And I'd like to think like this is the year where we begin to really deep and understand when and what to use. Like I remember I used to say mental health, but some of us, all of us have mental health, but some of us have mental illness. Yeah. And before I was, I was kind there of grouping everything together. Yeah. yeah. But mental illness is very different mm. to my mental health, for mm-hmm. example. Do I have a mental illness? Mm. Well, anyway, that's something else. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. we are also a generation who these things are coming to the surface. We're able to talk about them but we're still getting to grips with the language. I think it's that, and also that we're still dealing with the same issues that generations before us um, have with, is that we don't actually have the coping, like the right approach or the coping mechanisms to it. That's why we're kind of leaning on language a little bit. Mm. Um. So, my next one. Oh, coming for people. I haven't really termed it but it's something that has sat with me for a long while and I've only really articulated it while talking to someone the other day um and I've it's something that I felt uncomfortable with and um it's the trajectory that all okay it's the trajectory that majority of it's the trajectory that majority of Muslim fashion and beauty bloggers go on. Mm-hmm. And it I don't want to detail the trajectory out because I feel like it's such oh, a no. blueprint yeah. that people will get offended because the reality is that there's so many, yeah. if that makes sense. Isn't it really old hat? Now, like, I haven't even heard any the word modest fashion in like a really long time. That's because we're in, a, in our own bubble, Sarah, though. Are we really though? Yeah. We're yeah. our Muslims all the time. And I've I've tried to like pinpoint what it is that makes me feel uncomfortable. Um and you know part of like I'll some of what I'm talking about is they're always light skinned Muslim women, overwhelmingly South Asian as well. They have a very particular aesthetic, they all have very particular lifestyles, even down to like wedding, baby shower, family. Yeah, and that's what I'm going to get on, even if it is that. And I've realised what has made me feel uncomfortable about it. Um, and I've spoken about this before on my... <laughs> I've spoken about this before as well on my Instagram of like also feeling a discomfort, but also questioning if this is me being judgmental of like, are you just going to use your platform to sit pretty or is there going to be some point where you're actually going to use it for something else, even when there's specific world moments happening or whatever but at the same time I'm like I'm not entitled to tell anyone what that to to tell anyone what they should do with their platform and I sort of put that out onto my stories of like am I being entitled or you know is there something here and a lot of people did say like actually no like as when we bring it back to as Muslims like the reality is we we should be striving to do certain things and I realized that my discomfort is anchored in the fact that these blueprint these blueprints and this lifestyle is optimized for commercial viability yeah and that's <laughs> these blueprints and this lifestyle has been optimized for commercial viability and i think that's what 
is uncomfortable and that's yeah. what sits uncomfortably with me because mm-hmm. then if you think about yeah and then and make all everyone get their bags everyone get their peace save do what you want you know what i mean but i think yeah but part oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah like you know i'm not saying like no one do nothing but I think part of it is that commercial viability is also very individualistic and it's also very like we're talking as if like we're for a community but really and truly is it do you have just basically an underlying concern that we're not as a community contributing something more of substance yeah and part of I think that's a legitimate concern. I mean, people have gripes about reality TV stars. So and part of this is... Not that I'm comparing them. Yeah, they're not the same every, people. For every, Muslim, for every Muslim woman who's wearing a nude hijab, a nude heels, a nude room, nude house, whatever it is, there are 10 Muslim women who are... Oh, who are pushing the barriers. Yeah, but they're not the ones getting the most attention because they're not optimised for commercial viability. That's the thing. And I say this because like a couple of weeks ago, we were working on a brief and I was looking for um, influencers to work with, Muslim influencers. And I was like, no, there's got to be ones that have a decent following, but are not in fashion and beauty. And I even put it out into my stories and I said, hey, like, who do you follow? Um, that you you enjoy their content and things like that. And what was really interesting is people kept using the word influencer in the inverted brackets and yeah. l- as if it's like this dirty word. And they're like, would say things like, not sure if this person's an influencer, but I follow blah, 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 blah. And what was really interesting is the ones that everyone was re- recommending, none of them had like followers in which would even touch a hundred thousand there are there are like micro bloggers who are like ten thousand twelve thousand fifteen thousand that are doing um that are doing like um interesting content in a variation beyond fashion and beauty but then i started questioning like okay so why is it that these fashion and beauties have the most followers right and i realized it's because they are really optimized for commercial viability and to you know it's I struggle because again, like I'm not trying to come for individual bloggers because a lot of these people, they they just started as like, you know, we want to see more representation. We want to see people like us yeah. out there on the internet. Yeah, no, but they, I'm not trying to it say that. It was nestled that, in there. It was I'm, in there, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that these fashion and beauty bloggers have Are sinister intentions yeah, yeah. or anything like or that. Or even it's completely void of substance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Definitely not. And, you know, again, it comes back to my own internal, like, dialogue and conflict of, like, yeah, but what if they just see their way to make change is being that face in the sea of the internet that hasn't always represented them, you know? And um, that's it for me. <laughs> I am interjecting, recording from home, because Naf wanted an extra two cents, um, or she wanted to put an extra two cents on her two cents. So um, this is an extra little voice clip we got in from her just before publishing. What I want to be clear about is this isn't about then being like, oh my God, look at these bloggers. All they care about is making money and looking pretty. This is about a bigger conversation than that and about the wider structures at play that mean a attractive Muslim woman that talks about fashion and beauty is of the highest worth in our structures and in terms of commercial gain. And that's the conversation that I'm trying to have rather than individual bloggers. Um, 
I think it's very easy to make this an individual thing, but actually it's widespread enough for us to understand actually how does this relate to structures of oppression? How does it relate to structures of racism, of Islamophobia, um, of how Muslims are treated both structurally and in like our everyday lives? And so this is a bigger conversation than me just saying, oh, look at these bloggers, they want to make money, like everyone go get your bags and all of that. Um, it's just something that sat with me and I finally thought, felt like I could articulate it. So initially I was going to say dragon culture, but we've done that. Have we done that? We've done that. Um, and actually going off the back of your point, Nafisa, I would say that whilst, you know, you have these influences, again, you said like big numbers, big followings, big engagement, and we talk about, I guess, on a wider scale, like recently, um, you, you know, I'm sure a lot of people heard the news about what happened to Carolyn Flack. I kept on saying that, you know, the media have a lot to answer for and they're going to be accountable for a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, there was a lot of dragging by uh, some of these mainstream newspapers. Yeah. Some of them went to the lengths of actually deleting some of the digital content they had mm -hmm. about her because people started to rake it up and be like, you know, is this newspaper, is that newspaper, etc. There was a couple of hashtags going around trying to cancel some of the big kind of, the, the, the big um, newspapers. Yeah. And in terms of like, if we go back to the conversation about bloggers and who's popular, who is lifting these people up? Who is resharing the stories? Who is engaging the, in the content? It's us. And in terms of when we say the media, the media, we are part of this network as well. So every time we reshare a story, we have a lot more power than we we realize. And every time we've liked, every time we've even spent, you know, those guilty pleasures, the moments that you spend looking at things that no one else knows that you're looking at, you are supporting that type of content. So when your discovery page is a madness, that's all your private time madness that is coming up. And I talk about it from my own experience. I'm like, why am I seeing all of this stuff? I'm like, oh, it's because I spent that is your, one is minute your on the train. Yeah. I mean, you can look at it. I spe spend that one minute on the train. I've got bare Islamic reminders at the moment. But what I'm saying is, you know, we have to be careful as well. And I wanted to t talk about dragon culture, but it made me really, it made me kind of reflect on it in a different way. Um, all of us as well, we're kind of these mini micro influencers as well. It might be that you are, Naf was raising her eyebrows, me with my 10 followers. Um, but you know, if you're putting content out there, if you're resharing a story, you're part of this wider distribution network as well. And I think it's about, we can't always just put the blame on these bigger, obviously structurally there are a lot of issues, right? And a lot of changes required, but I think in the new modern world that we live in where social media is at our fingertips we are also inherently part of that web now yeah. so for every retweet for every share for every even private consumption where no one else knows you're consuming you are contributing to the bigger media the structures to create more of this content so all of these beauty and fashion bloggers the reason why this blueprint keeps coming out is because it's working People want to see more. People are consuming more. People are liking. People are engaging. So as much, I think what I'm saying is it's not necessarily the blame, but the responsibility lies with the person creating the content and the person engaging with the content as well. Do so, you think anybody um, really sits there and like is mindful of um, what they're reading? Like I can so, I can, like there's times where I've read articles that, there are uh, some newspapers where someone will share an article and like, oh, they've written about X, Y, Z. So I'm not even clicking on that. Right, yeah. So that's a degree of mindfulness, I feel like. is. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lost on so many of us, even without realizing. Like, there's so many articles. What one of the most popular flipping shows are? Love Island. Yeah. How much does that tell you? I'm sorry, it's a disgusting show. But yeah, I think sometimes what is overrated is as we talk about the big structures, the media, the this show, the that, but we have, and we can only be responsible for our own actions, right? Yeah. In terms of change. Yeah. Do what you can. And I think sometimes we have to be a lot more mindful of how we're consuming all of these new pieces of technology that are around us as well. So it was a quick, short one. Um, always one. happy to, to hear more in terms of like what you think about this. Okay, people. So before I even say this, just pause. Don't just wait for it. So my next overrated is self-love. Okay. See, I told you it was in your yeah, I know, but I want to throw you, isn't it? <laughs> um, I've been a single-digit mama for like what four, five, five years, and then I don't know. I can't remember. I'm really bad with like times and dates. Like I'd be terrible in inter- interrogation. Like um, seven years, but you just said five. I'm like I'm in five. Um, so yeah, a couple of years I've been divorced. Alhamdulillah, and then separated prior to that. And in that time, obviously, I've been doing a lot of soul searching, um, up in the the Richter scale, on the self-love scale. Um, Obviously, even in in my marriage um, and prior to marriage as well, like looking after yourself and understanding yourself, all of that self-love stuff is super important. Um, And recently, I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm doing a lot of that work, but like, I still want a companion. I still want someone to love. it's going to be another being obviously and I'm not explaining what I'm trying to say we're moving like self-love is the solution to that void that we may feel and I definitely want to be in relationship I want to be married and sometimes I think we can be vilified for wanting to be in a relationship oh no but you don't love yourself enough because you also want to get married no I can love myself enough and I can pursue a marriage, a relationship, whatever it is. But obviously the Richter scale does flip the other way. Some people, that is the only pursuit. For them to be filled, they need to be to be complete, is mm. to just be married and that's it. Mm. And they're not addressing themselves. Mm. And it was prompted by a quote that I read where it said, self-love was never meant to replace romantic love. Mm. And it's true, romantic love is very different to self-love. Um, stop telling people to love themselves when they talk about wanting a significant other. Both can coexist. Wanting a partner doesn't necessarily mean you don't love yourself. And I have seen occasions, and I've seen it with myself, where I'm trying to jump into a relationship where it's like, no, you need to look after yourself and 
and focus on yourself before you jump into another relationship mm-hmm. to then kind of blank out that reflection. Yeah. So there's definitely balance. But I think sometimes the balance has tipped to the point where it's like, well, you're not loving yourself because you want to get married. Yeah, when that's the default answer, then it's like a bit of an issue. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I would always say like, oh, like, I want someone else. And people would just be like, no, you need to love yourself. But as, it was almost as if that was the reason why it wasn't happening. Yeah, yeah. And I was always really confused. And it's almost like I had to convince myself that I didn't love myself. And loving yourself isn't some like, okay, right. Okay, so I've done the exam now. I love myself. So can I get married? Yeah, you it never, is a journey. It's, it's a, a process. Journey, but it's also just like understanding what how self-love impacts other people. Because I feel like in the context of a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. um, needing the need to love yourself first is so that you don't exhibit destructive behaviors mm-hmm. in a romantic relationship mm-hmm. which is totally possible yeah and as well like there's also been a narrative like well you need to love your love yourself first no whilst i'm loving myself yeah. and doing that work i can also pursue a relationship no, I think that's because some people are very not in a good place fine that's fine you need to fix up then isn't it um but in terms of self-love it's a journey i can't just say okay i finished loving myself now i'm ready to get married I will, that will continue. You know, the dynamics with myself will continue in the different spaces that I And occupy. the different versions of yourself. If you would like to hear more about love, marriage, dating and finding your other half, please tune in to our Two Cents special on the Malia podcast where we talk to 11 different individuals in the Muslim community on their perspectives of love, finding of the one and how much luck, effort and qadr plays a part. Beautifully done. And you know, going on to my next point, actually, we were made in pairs. Yeah, that yes, is, natural that is written. It's yeah. a natural inclination. Yeah. We were made in pairs. So, yeah, I can love myself and want to get married as well. I enjoyed that one, Chilo. Thanks, babes. Thanks. No worries. Um, minutes. Okay, um, right. So my first underrated for this week is um, living an ordinary life. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming at it from this angle as opposed to... Um, living an extraordinary life is overrated mm-hmm. because I feel, I don't feel that it is overrated. I feel like. Can you give us the context of the video? You sure, watched? sure. Okay, so <laughs> basically. Sure. That has to go in the editorial. <laughs> <laughs> basically, I came across this video on my like YouTube homepage, basically where I live. And it was um, a conversation between Alain de Botton and someone else. Oh, I don't know his name. Stuff. Yes. It's madness. Can I tell you what it is? It's a compilation of um, Merciful Servant Islamic Reminders. Um, Repentance. Those two guys from Thailand who make underground like... like my mud. kids love watching it's, that it's amazing it's sick um Jap- you see the one where they made underground and then they made yeah ju- yeah like sick. two tiers um japanese miniature diy houses um bon appetit cooking shows well, like just it's an actual music. madness no. anyway so i was watching i haven't actually watched our man for a very very long time but i've heard through the grapevine that he's um serving something a little different these days oh, so anyways. so i yeah I was watching a conversation between the uh, contemporary philosopher Alain de Botton, who um, is the founder of the School of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was between him and this this other man. Um, I don't know who he was. And they were talking about um, our capitalist modern day life society being snobbish. And he was saying that we are snobbish because we basically... Um, 
uh, internalize people's worth and value based on their their job or their accumulation of wealth which is basically mm-hmm. the gripes most people have with like a capitalist society anyway so he was breaking it down in terms of looking at um, life through the lens of being ordinary versus extraordinary and you know the kind of capitalist society we're living in today i'm not like some raving anti-capitalist by the way guys i'm just like that's the world we're living in i am no, no. <laughs> um that uh we are constantly fed this narrative of needing to strive to live an extraordinary life and in doing that we get lost in the fact that our ordinary life um, or our mediocre life is actually quite extraordinary especially relative to what has come before yes um and i've heard this often before like i remember watching like like consuming content when i was really young um from people like in the like self-help sector who were just like you know you have to find beauty in the mundane and rare and i didn't really know what it meant um it was almost like you know when you're just trying to like it was the same kind of thing as when people were telling me that i needed to love myself and Mm. not like you know that there's like some truth to it but you don't really know how or what it looks like or how tangible it is yeah anyway so he was like well we have like um a lot of us have savings a lot of us have like um roofs over our head but it goes beyond that we actually have like loads of material comforts we're able to go on holiday we're able to have cars like and that is generally like the average lifestyle for um especially like people in in the west but the majority of people today and um it's not to say that that is you know the like ideal lifestyle but it's more about um reframing it in terms of what is ordinary versus extraordinary and that actually has a dramatic effect on how successful you see yourself and so yeah like as a person who has really struggled with um this perspective like personally like I always have moments of really really deep reflection um and really low points of thinking that I'm not contributing anything massively substantial to the world because I'm just doing me and mine's um mm. little bits and you know I'm not very well known or like I'm not especially good at one thing um or you know like there's there's loads of things that you can kind of like attribute to living some extraordinary life these days mm. and um for me it's been a lifelong process of having to convince myself to be content with being quote unquote mediocre mm. and um I have always been content in that place in a sense because I have always like um, stopped myself from venturing into things that I know would make me successful but I don't actually want to do or I know would give me the satisfaction that I wanted of having some kind of extraordinary life or at least building up to that point that I didn't really have a zeal for and I think that um, at many points I've had to give myself a pat on the back for Mm. that because I mean, to the outside world, it could look like just like a really easy cop out. But for me, it's been a very conscious effort to not go for something just because it will give me some kind of like trajectory that is just above quote unquote mediocre. Um, Since you're not going to look at yourself through the lens of others, does that mean that you'd wear different socks? Can I tell you something? What? I swear, I promise. I wore <laughs> really long stripy socks out to yoga the other day. No. Yeah, with, with these jeans all the way up. It might seem contradictory that I'm using this as an underrated, but it's not. Um, you know, 
like I said, especially if you are in a difficult situation, there are things that you can do to get to the next stage of your life. One of those things is creating systems and looking at goal setting and habit forming um, through a whole new lens and perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have been dabbling in this like, I've been dabbling in like uh, like researching habits for like God knows how long. I never get the hang of it. It always falls to the wayside. I've like done the whole vision board thing check out the article on amalia.com about tidy goals and all of that good stuff because it's really really helped me um but it's only because of my systems that i've put in place and it's because i read this book by james clear called atomic habits it was recommended to me by a good friend and um yeah it's a really really amazing book and i know a lot of people have really good things to say about it and in short it basically um looks at habit forming as a series of systems that you set for yourself and uh it's basically just about ritualizing your life which i feel like is very like uh, uh, it goes really like hand in hand with an Islamic lifestyle because it our Islamic lifestyles are very ritualistic and so I just feel like we have a lot of good foundation to like for betterment and so if you wanted to change something about your life this year um, if you wanted to make uh, an incremental difference to your life in the long term you can start with uh, forming a habit one month of the year um, and forming systems for yourself Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to go into detail but uh that is yeah get basically get the book and um look at when you're researching habits and systems and all of that Mm -hmm. good stuff make sure you use those keywords um because they'll make all the difference article out as well um because we asked the Mali community on yesterday yeah about um goal setting about goal yeah so like when you're looking at goal setting look at when you're looking at goal setting, look at habits and systems as opposed to how to goal set. Like mm-hmm. it, there's a, a much more streamlined way to get where you're going if you follow that route. Mm. And yeah, that's my underrated for this week. So my first underrated, um, I'm not quite sure how to turn these ones. Um, my first underrated, I can't remember if I did this last year. Very, very sorry if I did. Um, I'll try and put a new spin on it. Um, but my underrated is having fun. Yeah. Oh, it's funny you say that because Amalia. I think. Shut up, man. I think having fun is so underrated. And I also say this because I want you to all take a moment. Have fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want you all to take a moment. Listeners as well. Our trusted, loyal listenership. I want you to all it's take... Work. Yeah, yeah, readership, <laughs> listenership. I want you to all take a moment and I want you to think about what's the most fun you've ever had in your life. Mine's not that hello. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm not going to ask for your answers, yeah? No, but I, I have had a lot of fun as well. It's I, a, I have had a lot of fun as well. It's a sad day. I know I've had fun, but I can't think of anything very quickly. I have to trawl through okay. some memories, which I think is indicative of what you're saying. Yeah, and I think fun is so underrated in our... Um, vocabulary. Vocabulary in our beings, even in our relationship to the deed. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm laughing at when we, you and me were swimming sea the other day. <laughs> and I was drowning. That was Selena's idea of fun. <laughs> and I was like, it was fun looking back on it. 
so good. Was that role play drowning? No, Sarah. We she I was, was for real drowning. I we both the context is <laughs> we Sarah. We both had floats. Yeah. And I take Selena. I'm like swimming in the ocean. I'm just like paddling around, relaxing, having fun. Yeah. And Selena's like, oh, I'm gonna try. And then she comes out. She comes out with me. Yeah. Why is she flapping around? And she's like, No, no, I need to go back. I was like, Selena, the more you move, the more likely you're to lose your float. So was she genuinely stressed? Sarah, she was doing this. And you know them ones where you're moving so fast that you're not moving anywhere. <laughs> She's doing that. And I, and I'm trying to save her. I lose my float, yeah? And now I'm flapping for my float. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, if you just stay still. I'm baffled. Hold up. I swear where you went, I swear where you went, it's not even it's not even like a legitimate ocean anyway. No, it was like it, no, it was, no, it was it was the proper ocean. Um <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, I want everyone to think about what's the most fun you've had in your life. Um, and because I think a lot of the times we stop ourselves or we don't actually know what fun looks like. Yeah. And I've been like, I would love to do a dissertation on fun. <laughs> because <laughs> no, because you can I, cite that reference. I actually think there's like a, some psychoanalysis to be done there. I yeah, think it's because the, I, in, like, I don't the lack of inhibition. I, yeah, I don't think there's enough of us feeling limitless. There's yes. not enough of us feeling like we can push our own boundaries with yeah. no repercussions. Yeah. And even if you no, think... Let me finish. Just even um, from the perspective of like how Muslim women are expected to behave, right? Mm -hmm. And how Muslim women are expected to be in public spaces, private spaces, like in any space. Like even those expectations put inhibitions on like what we what we feel we can do is yeah, fun yeah. and no one's saying transgress halal haram boundaries out here yeah. but i'm saying that i just think we all have the potential to have more fun in our lives and i think having fun in your life really really does transform your life it really does you should um uh say that thing you said to me yesterday because i was like i we we had like a tangent conversation about fun and i was like i think i said something like oh like like how do you or something like that <laughs> and then and then you said something to me like oh i have fun just like <laughs> no, climbing, <laughs> climbing the stairs like like missing a step or something yes yeah, so like, like that I've, really meant something to me uh, so i think part of it is like i've associated fun with being playful mm. and part of being playful is like your inner child and so like one thing i always do is yeah <laughs> and so one thing i do is like you know like when you're walking and there's like a higher ledge yeah, yeah. and you know when you're a little kid you'd like be dying to get onto that ledge and yeah. run across it or walk across it yeah. i still do that yeah. and i do that as like uh, like a personal thing of like, like don't tribute to your playfulness yeah 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 like I'm don't don't alive. stop yeah. do you know like it might be a little thing like you found so much fun in it when you were little yeah. like carry on those small small things and yeah. so even like it might be that you breaking into your fun sphere is <laughs> is you finding those small things that you can do in those small ways that you can be playful yeah. it might even be like your makeup it might like Last year I bought like a really playful top and I love it. Wait, wait, can I just chat about her top? Yeah, her top's all white. It looks very similar to you know um napkin. I've seen the dramatic crepey material. So we've gone sleeves. to a restaurant and she's tucked the napkin in. She's walked out <laughs> with the napkin because she thought it was her top. Uh, where like here? Oh shit. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, not that I want to make play study now. 
obviously I'm the only one. But I think there should be a study of play. So this book, I've got um, a book called Play, and it says how it shapes the brain, opens imagination, and invigorates the soul. Like, often when we're brainstorming and stuff, I would like to say that sometimes I do put in some wacky ideas. Yeah. And I think that relates back to the fact that I, by default I play because I have children. Yeah. And I think it really does feed other parts of your life, especially if you're in the creative world. Yeah. I think it's super important. Or even if you you say you're not in the creative world, but you have to cre- uh, come up with ideas, etc. Mm. Playing and having those moments of play as well yeah. is super important. Like on our way into work, there's a co- it's not even cobbled area, but there's these like stones in the cement. And I remember when I brought Ash to work one day, she walked on it. And for her, it was like a maze. Yeah. So sometimes I you walk on that, that yeah. without her presence. It's so true. And I'm like, oh, can I balance on it or not? Mm-hmm. Which you know what, though, scared. guys? You are giving examples of, like, fun that is for the highly coordinated. I just <laughs> need to say that, like, if I try to do that or, like, miss a step, I think generally my fear of fun, like, not having... Or, like, my my inability to have fun at times is from stems from my fear of looking stupid but that's that's something to break through isn't it yeah to then be like actually for me to have my like ultimate fun it's me not caring like stupid like when i go fun is different things right if you can't do the breaking through um for you you love architecture so for me i love gardening i love plants etc so on my way to work yeah looking at the different plants, looking at the different blooms, now spring is coming, being able to identify the different, I take different a different route to make sure I can see certain flowers blooming mm. through the season. For me, that's fun. It might not be someone else's idea of fun, but it's my idea of fun. I get that. Like sometimes I, f- I feel like I probably do have fun, but I'm really absent-minded. Mm. Um, and I think it's like that whole like carrying around a black cloud syndrome, which I've had since university because of coursework. And that really... Like- when I go to a park, like a play park with um, Selena's kids, like I'm always on like the monkey bars and everything and I'm like how can you not like how can how can you go to the park and not do that sometimes there's that all this is like actually the park is like the most poignant place to be upset and then you like dwell in it like I've taken the kids to the park some, not mine I've taken the kids to the park sometimes and I have taken the opportunity to be sad because I feel like it adds to the drama of what I'm feeling because it also validates my my need to be upset and I'm I'm not in any way saying that's what you that's a guide of like how to live your life people I feel like if a lot of people are do the same thing where they just miss those opportunities and there have been times where I will but go then the even in that moment you're <laughs> Even in that moment, you're still missing it because you're dwelling on it. You're missing what? Rather than breaking through. Yeah, of course. It's a bit, I think that w- your underrated is massively, massively, massively underrated and a massive importance. Like so much so, like I feel like we should talk about it every episode <laughs> because I feel like if people did have more fun... Ooh, yeah, I think it now. is. I think it's just like the importance we have on things like gratitude. I think actually really comes is really rooted in things like fun because Mm. your ability to make fun out of a situation um fun can't come to you you have to find yeah basically they just go hand in hand in hand like to be like grateful for a moment where you have something to play with and then make the best Mm. of that situation last week there's a piece published on amalia by afro's um and it was called the mother tongue as resistance and it's reflections on the subtle power of our native languages and it was 
it is such a beautiful piece um and she basically talks about how the passing of her father in 2018 made her realize the importance of her mother tongue which is urdu in her life and how that was um how so there's so many stories attached to that but also that there's a, a sense of resistance when you speak urdu and i'd really really urge you to write to um read the piece but what i wanted to off the back of that um put in my underrated and again i'm not quite sure how to term it but um this like underrated is like this sense of panic um that i feel about like our the generation before us and like the stories the moments everything that they have that we we don't we haven't captured yet like you know especially as our parents like they get older I'm just like what should I be doing you know like what am I meant to like interview them every weekend and ask them stuff am I meant to like you know talk to them and jot down what they're saying because like it, I can't it can't just then be in my head like how do I like like what do I do with um everything that is in that immigrant generation and I think it's particularly like I'm I'm sure like every generation felt like this and every generation felt like that sense of panic because something is going um but I also think there's a like sense of I remember someone on Twitter saying that like they realized that their Somali family were going to be the last generation to have like those specific curtains and that specific tissue box and that specific living room mm. and because <clears throat> obviously we were at it being minimalistic and that um and you know even that sense of like physical both like physical both like storytelling both memories like those small hacks that are passed from generation to generation like all those small things like I just think it's very underrated and I would love for any of our listeners to tell us what they might be doing I know like a couple of episodes last year we spoke about parent immigration uh, parent immigrant trauma and we had like Mariam the artist interview her mom and she like sketched her to like document like you know she asked what did her mom want to be and it, she wanted to be a nurse and like all these different things um but I'm just wondering like if anyone has anything that they've done anything that they do to sort of preserve so the first one is balance 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 yeah le balance um, and stick with me with this one. And I think this also links back to living extraordinary lives, ordinary lives, mediocre lives, whatever it is. But often the 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 yardstick that we measure people by is by how much they've got on their plate. Like, you know, when someone's like, oh, so what are you up to? And it's like, I'm doing this, I'm building that, I just started that, I'm mm -hmm. studying a master's and I'm doing a PhD. I don't think you can do both at the same time. But anyway, you're doing all these different things. And the yardstick often is how much people are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I recently, I wrote a post about, it was just about motherhood really and how much, sometimes we can give too much to that one role of yeah. motherhood and it is a very consuming role, you know, you're raising another human, but we also have other roles in our lives, like we may be sisters, mothers, um, you know, carers for other people, whatever it is. Um, and I think sometimes, and recently I went away and I really realized how much of a disease being busy is especially in London, like, we're always busy. Our weekends have to be booked up by disease doing being things. Busy or uh, the kind of busyness? The, the, the disease of being busy. Busy, like, no purpose. It's just constantly just being busy for the sake of being busy and not being able to kind of sit okay. and just be in that space of, like, you have no plans. And 
um, a sister, she pointed out a term to me and it was called Israf. And I'm going to read what she wrote. And she basically wrote, it's, it's excess. And that's the reason of imbalance. Israf is to go beyond what is necessary, filling your plate with more than you can handle, taking more than you need. And often people refer to it in the, um, in reference to resources or like money. Yeah. But, actually um and then she goes on to it and she was saying taking more than what you need islam taught us that balance in every taught us balance in every single thing allah gave us a heart mind body and soul all of them have their rights we lose that balance when we focus on one thing way too much whilst ignoring the rest so even going back to my point about self-love actually you can over focus on self-love and it becomes self-infatuation actually you're obsessed with yourself um, you know, May, and she goes on to say, Allah gave us a heart, mind, and body, and soul. All of them have rights. We lose that balance when we focus on one thing too much. May Allah not make us um, of these people. So, uh, Musrifin, she says, someone who goes overboard because we are human beings and so easy to fall into excess in everything. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we've been there where the yeah. balance has tipped. Yeah, where the balance has tipped too much. She said, you know, the balance might tip into serving our kids, business, house, day and night, whilst ignoring other things. And this is from Ina underscore official on Instagram. She has some really lovely reminders. And in terms of, if you want to know the Quran, I ate six um, colon. Where's it semicolon? Um, it's in the Quran six um, semicolon one for one. And it says, and be not excessive. Indeed, he does not like those who commit excess. So it's something that we can apply. Okay, so it's in chapter number six, verse number 141. And be not excessive. Indeed, he does not like those who commit excess. So it's something if we apply to all aspects of our life, it makes it so makes so much more sense. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think balance is underrated. So actually doing less, going back to that ordinary thing, what we were just talking about, I think sometimes to feel or be perceived as extraordinary, you have to be doing a whole list of things when actually our, our religion asks us to be, our religion actually asks us to be balanced. And for me, it's been a really good measure. Like every so often, every week, I'm kind of just going through my life and saying, oh, am I balanced? Am I working enough? Am I resting enough? Am I with my children enough? And just have it making sure that there's balance in all areas. And sometimes it might tip, you know, for whatever reason. But it's knowing that actually there's a center point where Allah doesn't ask us to be excess in any area of our life, even in worship. Allah doesn't ask us to just constantly worship. We have a given month yeah. for that, which is Ramadan. Yeah. But Allah doesn't ask us to um, be uh, be how we are in Ramadan through the whole year. Yeah. So my next one was pop-in and last-minute meetups. And I've been thinking a lot about this. So I, wanna, I just want you to all close your eyes. Close your eyes, go on. I want to take you back to a dusty track off the road into a village lined with palm trees and fields of crop and barren land and barren land and goats and chickens wandering about that village is a village that i'd visit on my summer holidays where we'd stroll around the village and others would do this too and there was a specific time it was called tea time so chai time where um it's usually kind of after the midday meal where the kids would return from school people would return from work and the mid a midday sun was at its highest 
and everyone would be napping and when they would wake it would be filled with tea biscuits puffed rice otherwise known as muri um and then we'd go for a stroll after the kind of that cup of tea and we'd pop in to see people um and like the popping cut you can stop closing your eyes <laughs> i just I, i just said that for effect but you didn't have to do it um the popping culture for me reminds me a lot of back home where we would literally pop in to people's homes and nafisa was saying that day like you'd pop in and someone would be coming out of the shower like a sister would have her hair wrapped up in a gamcha a gamcha is like a towel or like someone would be like mid just like harvesting something or you know they'd be like they've just discovered the chicken has two two heads like i remember going to someone's house we popped in and they were like oh come and look at this lamp it was a conjoined it twins. like the show of the village everyone goes <laughs> yeah but we'd just pop in and people would be we'd pop in and into people's lives they would be mid doing something and they wouldn't stop they'd continue they might just wipe their hands and come and tell us to sit down with them and i remember last time we went to um back home um we popped into a friend's house and she happened to be making was it jalebi yeah pala house she was making jalebis and we and she i saw like the the happiness on their face like they were making like, a sweet treat for an imminent guest but the guest came as they were making that sweet treat and there was this culture of like it's never inconvenienced to home you obviously there's etiquettes of having a guest and i can't just turn up to your yard because in london we live or in the midlands or wherever you live in the world and whoever's listening you know there's a transport issue we don't live in those villages anymore we can just pop in but we can still cultivate it on some degree and i know i've spoken about this before in terms of like your neighbor looking after your neighbor and all of this stuff but last weekend i kind of did it so i've got a sister who lives <coughs> i've got a sister who lives like one row down and i wanted to go to juma so i was like you know what i'm going to go juma and maybe on my way back she might i could pop into her house i'm like hey i'm just going to juma just wondering if you're in and we'll pop in and i took some strawberries and cucumbers and she had like a few bits and bobs and it just ha- it just was such a lovely day um and then i did it the same thing the next weekend a sister messaged me the same friday and she was like hey do you want to hang out at the library for a bit and then we'll see where it goes ended up like going to the library for literally like 20 minutes and then we popped into her house and it ended up being such a lovely day and i think one thing about popping versus like and not orchestrated but you know it's like all right i'm going to come to your house on the 5th of july da, da, da. it puts a lot of pressure on people i know that when i've like entertained and i know that people are coming around like right i'm going to go out and you buy extra food and you buy extra things and you put a burden sometimes on yourself or well, not a burden because everybody is welcome i'm still happy to schedule meetups but when i've had friends like i'm just going to pop by you give them from what you have if you think about risk as well and as well you don't over inconvenience yourself it's like oh you know what i've got a window i've got an hour why didn't you come through i need to pop out in about two hours and i need to get ready and and i was just thinking like what's the point of a pop in and what's the point of our homes if we can't fill them with baraka yeah forgive us for our mistakes not this halaka <laughs> and make the offer people there. Uh thank you everyone. Um make sure you head to amalia.com and check out the article for this two cents episode. It's gonna be um lit. and we will see you on the next one. Somebody go. Um, yeah, people say lit. People say lit. <laughs>